we're going to go ahead now. We're going to see if we can um, continue our Bible study. We are in the book of Philippians, and we've been dealing with the book of Philippians. We had an outline that we had been following, and tonight we're going to be on section four, where we had already gotten to, but we're in section four under A, Excellence in Conduct, and we're going to be looking at uh, number four, the priority of sanctifying oneself, the priority of sanctifying oneself. So we'll be looking at verses 12 through 18 in order to do that. And then we're going to pick up, because tonight is verse 14 through 30, but I need 12 and uh, pick up with 12 again to kind of flesh this out. So uh, our title is Philippians. We've got chapter 2, verse 14 through 30, I think, but we need to go 12 uh, through 18 to kind of deal with this priority of, of sanctifying oneself. So think about what we're talking about is that Paul is now uh, giving us some understanding of the need uh, to place priority in separating ourselves and fulfilling the gospel call. Now, last week we talked a little bit about this, but we're going to flesh this out a little bit more. All right, so beginning at verse um, 12, he says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. So again, remember we said we're calling this the priority of sanctifying oneself. And if you take a look at what Paul uh, is talking about, we began dealing with this last week, that although salvation is a free gift, we recognize that, Paul definitely makes it clear to us that once we get our salvation, we need to go to work, not work in becoming saved or getting saved because our works don't save us. But we need to go to work in working out our own salvation. And last week we said that that word work means really to walk it out. The idea is that you know, God is saying to us, we bear some of the responsibility of bringing about uh, our ultimate salvation the work that we're going to do here, the things that we end up accomplishing here, and that needs to be done, he says, in such a way that with fear and trembling. Now, again, I think I mentioned this last week. A lot of times you'll hear people say this, and this verse has almost become some people's excuse to say why they live the way they do. So in other words, whatever they're doing, it's like, hey, don't worry about me. I'm working out my own salvation. That is not what this verse is saying. It's not saying you go off and just kind of do your own thing. Paul is trying to emphasize that now that you are saved, that it's your responsibility to work in line with God to work out or walk out this salvation that he has now given you. That if you look in verse 13, this is why he says, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So in other words, there are things that God will prompt you uh, to do. They're going to be things that you feel prompted to do. And this is the way that God works in us and through us 
to carry out those things that he wants us to do as a part of our salvation experience while we're still here, uh, working toward the ultimate fulfillment of that, which is the day that we go on to meet Christ. So there is a work that needs to be done, and he says do that with fear and trembling. You know, the idea is that for everything that we put, and we'll see that a little bit later when we get down to Timothy and um, Epaphroditus, everything that we put second to Christ will bring rewards to us. Everything that we put Christ second to will cause us loss eventually at the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, then that what you need to do is to put away those things that what are important to you and seek after my things. He said, if you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. And so ultimately then we find here that Paul is trying to make it clear to us that we need to take and do those things which God prompts us to do. We do it, we say, with fear and trembling, with the understanding that this is the work that God is working in us. Then he moves to verse 14, and he tells us this means everything that we're involved in, everything that we're doing, every bit of it, he says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. So in other words, he says then that it is possible that people spend their time um, so busy complaining, murmuring, disputing over stuff, and instead of doing what they've been called or tasked to do, they are always uh, got some problem with something. So where you really see this playing itself out, because Paul is addressing his letter to the church, is things that people either have maybe assigned to them in the church to do, things that they need to be doing as it relate to the church in order for the church to carry out its function. You know, just coming to church is just not sufficient. Although people, you know, can choose to do that if that's what they think is okay. But in their life, the idea of people saying things like, like I said before, well, I'm working out my own salvation with fear and trembling. And if what that actually means is, well, I come to church and I go home and I just live my life out, but you don't ever, you don't do anything that's related to the, the church itself as the family of God. Somewhere, there's something, there's a disconnect going on somewhere. Because God didn't just call us to come to the building, sit, listen to a sermon, go out, and then that, you are working it out out there. Because this is the actual family of God. This is the actual household of God, not the building, but the people that are associated with the body of Christ. This is that. So many times people apparently were doing things where they were murmuring about it, disputing or fighting about it. So once again, you see Paul putting out here for everybody, I need you to understand. Because murmuring, what murmuring is, a lot of people, you know, if you go through the definition and look at it, this particular word actually means it's kind of like the whispering and the complaining that goes on um, under your breath. You know, so you're not, nobody knows you're really doing it except the little clique that's doing it. You know, they're murmuring about either not being involved or murmuring about whatever the case might be. But they're not actually making major complaints where you know about it, but that's what murmuring is about. So God's like, look, if what you do is you do everything without murmuring, without disputing. He says, because that's then when you can find yourself in verse 15, he says, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke 
in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. So remember what we're talking about now, the priority of sanctifying yourself. So Paul says, we need you to walk out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We need you to not be going around murmuring and complaining. So he's trying to get people, or, or disputing, trying to get people to understand. You have a responsibility to keep the unity of the church. You have a responsibility to keep the unity of the faith. You have a responsibility to work out your salvation by letting God prompt you for the things that you're supposed to be doing concerning the church, concerning the body of Christ, so that ultimately what? The church can perform its function in the earth. That's why Paul said, so that then in verse 16, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So Paul was saying, look, I don't want to get to, to heaven and find out that your church was a waste of my time. In other words, that because you people would not resist the devil, would not resist murmuring and complaining and putting your stuff in front of everybody else's stuff, and instead of considering other people's things instead of your own, which he's already said earlier, you basically, it's worthless. I mean, seriously, the salvation, you, you, you just going to lose. You, go, you might, as Peter said, scarcely be saved but you won't have any rewards because you did not really do what God was prompting you to do. And this is why in many places the Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. Quench, don't quench the Holy Spirit. And when you see the word don't quench the Holy Spirit, the, the word quench there actually means it's kind of like putting out a fire. You would have to see it like if you had a fire that was burning and you threw a blanket on it, or you had a fire that was burning and you poured water on it. That's what it means to quench it. So the Holy Spirit comes along, tries to ignite your flame, and what you basically do is through murmuring and disputing and other stuff, you quench it. So instead of doing what you're being prompted to do, instead of allowing the Spirit of God to do it, you quench the Spirit of God, and ultimately then you grieve the Holy Spirit, which basically means that the Spirit of God um, is, I don't want to say wounded, because it's not like we're wounding him like that, but basically you are basically putting the Spirit of God in a, the word grieved is the same word that is used for pain. So it's kind of like the Holy Spirit, remember again, if you don't de depersonalize him, the Holy Spirit is a person. So basically, he's watching the church. He's prompting people to do things that will keep the unity, take care of the body of Christ, work out salvation for people and others. And instead of doing that, people are sitting there murmuring, disputing. And so what it does is it pains the Holy Spirit because you're quenching him in getting the work of Christ done. And so ultimately then, this is what he's saying. You have to put priority on sanctifying yourself, setting yourself apart to do the work of Christ as God works through you. Then in verse 18, he says, for the same cause also do ye joy uh, and rejoice with me. So well, I missed verse 17. Let me read that right quick. He says, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all for the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. So in other words, Paul says in verse 17, look, my life is basically being offered up on this whole platform of the churches that I'm establishing. So he says, look, I, I, he came out of being a Pharisee. He came out of persecuting the church. He didn't go into business. He didn't go find something else to do. Instead, his whole life now was dedicated on building these churches, planting these churches, 
pushing the work of Christ. And so he's saying, look, my life has now been offered up as a sacrifice and service of your faith. He says, and I'm good with that, and I'm rejoicing with you. But please don't make it all be in vain. Okay, sanctify yourself. Set yourself apart. Stop letting people... And to me, the church today is just such a prime example of what we're about to see where Paul begins to try to um, flesh this out even more. Now, in, in my um, outline, this now would take us to Paul now giving us examples, if you will, of good conduct. We're now going to start talking about examples of good conduct of Christians here we see through verse 19 through 30, Paul's going to deal with two individuals. First is Timothy, and then the other is a guy named uh, Epiroditus. The thing about Timothy, in many places you see Timothy being referenced. And there's two books written to Timothy even with his name on them. But Paul launches off then now into a discussion about the need to send someone to them um, to assist and to let them know how he's doing. So he says in verse 19, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. So he's sending Tim Tim Timothy to them so Timothy can check on them and come back and tell Paul how they're doing, right? He, he has an idea from what he had heard, but now he's going to send Timothy and then Timothy come back and tell him. Now then he says this in verse 20, for I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Now, let's stop. We, we got to stop here. As I was doing my little research and studying for this, this is just a constant problem with God's people and God's ministers. So Paul says, and at the time, of course, Paul was in jail. And so Paul says, and you'll see it uh, in other places, Paul said basically that when he made his first presentation to Caesar, because Paul was basically being prosecuted as an insurrectionist. They were saying that he was anti-government and that he was against Caesar and all that. And that's really what Paul was being charged with, is being an insurrectionist. So many people were forsaking Paul. They, wouldn't, they didn't have anything to do with him. They wouldn't visit him in jail. They just stayed away from Paul because they didn't want to get associated with him and then get arrested too and accused of being insurrectionists. <clears throat> but Paul says there are these two guys <clears throat> that aren't like that. One is Timothy and the other one's Epiroditus. And so this is why I use that thing of examples of good conduct. He's about to talk about them and he spends a lot of time. So he, 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 he focuses in verse, like we said, 19 through 21, basically 20 and 21, saying, I'm sending Timothy to you because in verse 20, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. So Paul is saying, look, this is my mind. My mind is to take care of you people. God, I'm an apostle. I set up your church. I'm not doing this for myself. I'm not trying to uh, get over on you guys. I'm absolutely concerned about your spiritual welfare to make sure that when you get to heaven, you have something to present to Christ and that you don't lose your rewards. That's why he said this before to them. I need you to work, walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is serious business. Sanctify yourself because God is the one prompting you. Don't get all that murmuring and complaining because now you're being asked to do something you don't want to do. And, Oh, I got more talent than that, or I got more skill, or why I got to do that. Do what you've been asked to do 
Submit yourself to the Spirit of God and allow God to reward you accordingly when the time comes. But Paul says, I don't have anybody else like that around here but Timothy. He says, everybody else, look at verse 21, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. And the sad thing about that then means that all of these people, whoever they are, they, they lost rewards if they didn't even not have their salvation. He says, basically, you stepped out of the concept of being a disciple of Christ. He says, in order to be a disciple, Jesus said, look, if you want to be my disciple, you need to forsake your own stuff and put my stuff first. And we have a church full of people. I'm not necessarily talking about this church. I'm talking about the body of Christ. You have a church full of people. You got a pulpit full of ministers who are all talking about nothing but how to achieve the good life here through the Holy Spirit and through God and through Christ and all that. And nothing to do with what Christ did to try and save the rest of these people that are going to hell. That we're not concentrating our efforts on that. What we're doing is trying to convince people if you come to Christ, he'll fix your life, which basically means give you all that worldly stuff you wanted. Now, I want to focus on two things. I'm going to go back to the Old Testament and show you how this is just always a problem with God's people, period. In the Old Testament, New Testament, all testaments. I'm going to go back to Jeremiah. I want to go to Jeremiah chapter 6. And I, I didn't tell them this, but they can use that quick verse back there. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 10 through 19 is what we're going to look at. Jeremiah chapter 6, and let me get over there, verse 10 through 19. Jeremiah chapter 6, let me get to it in my Bible. Jeremiah chapter 6, and we're going to look at verse 10 through 19. Now, God is speaking through Jeremiah, and he has Jeremiah, he's talking to the people. Now, listen to what Jeremiah tells these people as he's prophesying to them. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. Therefore, I am full of the fury of the Lord. I am weary with holding in. I will pour it out upon the children abroad and upon the assembly of young men together. For even the husband with the wife shall be taken, the age with him that is full of days. And their houses shall be turned into, unto others with their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand upon the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord. For from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people, slightly saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Therefore, they shall fall among them that fall at the time that I visit them. They shall be cast down, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way and walk therein and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. Also, I set watchmen over you saying, hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not hearken. Therefore, hear ye nations and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened unto my words, nor to my law, but rejected it. Okay. I mean, so here it is. It's the same thing. God is speaking now through the prophet to these folks in the Old Testament uh, Jews, and he's saying once again, I'm going to destroy your folks 
because you all don't even have ears to hear. Your ears are not circumcised. I send watchmen, prophets, people to tell you what you need to hear. You ain't trying to hear it. You telling people they got peace and they don't have no peace. And he says, what I'm going to do is when I break out on y'all, you ain't, you ain't going to have nowhere to run. And the bottom line is, you, you hear my word, but you reject it. You won't do it. And at some point, and see, that's how people keep telling people. All this talk, trash talk about, you know, you got Jesus and you don't need to worry about this and you ain't got to work and God ain't itching. Oh, God love you so much that he just willing to do anything. And oh, he longing for you and following you everywhere. Oh, Lord, Lord. And I understand sometimes like when we're praying and we say, you know, we would like God to prick people's hearts. I understand where we're coming from, but God going to crush people's hearts is what's going to start happening. Because the bottom line is, ain't, ain't nobody walking around here trying to be tapping on you. You're going to end up in hell or you're going to end up having lost rewards. This is serious business. Ain't nobody got time to be playing with you. We knocking on the door. Jesus said, if I knock on the door, will you please open it? There's going to come a point if you quench the Holy Spirit, he ain't going to keep knocking. He ain't going to go on down the street. And when the devil show up, God says in one place in the Old Testament, God said, let me find that. I'm sorry, I ain't give y'all these verses, but we're going to use quick verse. All right, let, let, let me get back here. <laughs> See, they kind of preach people don't like that. They want God to be all lovey-dovey and, and, and kissing on them and stuff all the time. But I'm just trying to help you, like Jeremiah say. All right, let me see. This, let, me, let me read this to you. This is in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 22. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 22 through 29. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20 through 229. Now, I want you to remember what he just said, Jeremiah. Now, think about this. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? And you scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have set at naught all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh. Now, this is the Bible. Now, God said he going to laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear comes. When your fear comes as desolation and your destruction comes as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then shall you call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For they that hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would none of my counsel, they despised all my reproof. All right. So God is saying, look, I'm calling. Stop being simple. Stop playing. You need to listen to me. Calling out to you. Stop murmuring. Stop disputing. Stop complaining. Stop seeking your own. Give up your stuff and come after Christ. You've been saved. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Walk it out. You have salvation. It's yours. I can't work it out for you. Nobody else can walk yours out. You got to walk it out, but you ought to be scared. You should be afraid. You should walk it out with fear. Man, I don't want to die. I don't want to lose it to start. And God has made it clear when we do communion. If you got salvation and you don't discipline yourself, I will discipline you. God says either you will end up weak. Every time you turn around, you can't resist the devil. You can't this. You're failing at everything. You're weak. You're sick. 
You can't get over your illnesses. You can't get past them, whatever the case might be. Or you just end up dying early and, and because God's like, look, this life is not worth the one to come. That's why Jesus said it would be easier and better that you lose a limb, lose an eye, than to go what? Have both eyes get cast into hell or to have both hands get cast into hell. He said, be better you cut one of them off to have eternal life. What? Put an eye out to have eternal life. He was trying to make it clear. We are the people of God. God is calling us to walk like the people of God, live like the people of God, and act like the people of God. We can't manipulate the Holy Spirit to take over the world. It ain't going to happen. All that's going to happen is we fall into deception and seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, and we need to put the devil back in his place. Simple as that. Now I'm going to take you to another set of scriptures, still in the Old Testament. This is in the book of Ezekiel. This is Ezekiel. We're going to look at chapter 33, verse 27 through 33, and then chapter 34, verse 1 through 6. So we're going to do Ezekiel 33, 27 through 33. All right, so let me go there first. 33, and we're going to do 27 through 33. Now listen to Ezekiel talking to the people. Praise the Lord, Lord Jesus. Help us. I just don't want to be these people. Verse 27, say thou thus unto them, thus saith the Lord, as I live, surely they are in the waste shall fall by the sword. And him that is in the open field will I give to the beast to be devoured. And they that be in the forts and in the cave shall die of the pestilence. For I will lay the land most desolate and the pomp of her strength shall cease. And the mountains of Israel shall be desolate that none shall pass through. Then shall they know that I am the Lord when I have laid the land most desolate because of all their abominations which they have committed. Also, thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses and speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what is that the word that cometh from the Lord. And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear my words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument, for they hear your words, but they don't do them. And when this cometh to pass, lo, it will come. Then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. So, so Ezekiel, God tell Ezekiel, tell look, Ezekiel, tell them, look, this is what y'all people are like. You come up in here, you hearing what I'm saying, and you saying, ooh, we just love the Lord. But then you turn right back around and run after your covetousness. He says, then they're like, you, you, you like one with a pleasant, lovely song and a pleasant voice and playing on a good instrument. They love to hear your words. They just ain't going to do them. Oh, they love listening, sitting at the concert. Man, that was good. But they won't do it. And then God says, that's okay, because when it come to pass, what you saying, they're going to know they heard it from God. Simple as that. Everybody out there playing, I'm telling you, it's coming. It's going to come. God going to deliver the people that are walking according to his precepts and his judgments. And then it's going to be a fine divide line, just like it was in Egypt when the, uh, the, the pestilence came. And when the death angel came, the people who I'm sure there were some skeptics in Israel who didn't put no blood on their doorpost. They probably was like, that's crazy. I ain't doing that. And they lost their firstborn. And then the others who did what they were supposed to did not suffer the same judgment. Likewise, there are people, Christians, who are, just won't believe what I'm telling y'all. God is not pleased. 
he ain't happy, and his intention is for us to get on track, or we're going to be looking at some burning coming through here one way or the other. I know it's on the way. I'm telling you, it's on the way. God is not going to wait much longer before he starts separating the wheat from the chaff. We don't have much more time. We got to get on track and not be chasing our covetousness, but God's desire for our lives. Now I'm going to go to, uh, and, uh, look, look, I'm gonna go to uh, chapter 34, and I'm going to read verse 1 through 6. Now he jump on the pastors, because this is the problem. See, people will say, well, we need to be like the old church. Paul already telling you, in the old church, they ran from him too. There came a point where when, when Paul was bringing the heat, and, and telling the truth, and the government went after Paul, Paul was being charged as an insurrectionist, and all the preachers ran off. All the people who were supposed to be helping him ran off. He, so he's now saying that Timothy is the only one that's sticking with me. Timothy is the only one that's got a mind like mine. So let's go back and let's look at what happened. Chapter 34, and the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, i.e. the pastors of Israel, prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat, and you clothe you with the wool. You kill them that are fed, but you feed not the flock. The diseased have you not strengthened, neither have you healed that which was sick, neither have you bound up that which was broken, neither have you brought again that which was driven away, neither have you sought that which was lost. But with force and with cruelty have you ruled them. And they were scattered because there is no shepherd, and they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and upon every high hill. Yea, my flock was scattered upon all the face of the earth, and none did search or seek after them. So God was like, look, and the shepherds is just as bad. They all pursuing their thing. Everybody trying to get their thing on. Oh, I got the biggest this, and I got the most that, and I done sold all the books. and You know, shut it down. Shut it down. Just shut it down. You know, I mean, people don't understand. The, the Bible says in many places, one, people say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of this one, I'm of that one. He says, who is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers by which we minister. So even if you're hearing something you think is all that great, you ain't said it. The Holy Ghost said it out your mouth. You are being used by God. So every book you sell, if it was even good, you need to give it away. Nah, I'm sorry. I'm just talking about you. Do what you want. I don't care. I'm just saying. You, you should not have God's people have to try and purchase every single thing that the Holy Ghost supposedly wrote. But the reason some of them are running after what's being said is because it ain't God no way. All it is is warmed over, motivational stuff that you can find in all these other books that people have out there that have nothing to do with spiritual things. They have nothing to do with dropping your own stuff and going after Christ. They have nothing to do with saying to live is Christ, to die is gain. It has nothing to do with saying, I count everything as dung that I might win Christ. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with me promoting myself and who's going to be first in line. So anyway, praise the Lord. Some people may say that's because you ain't got no books. Well, I mean, you know, hey, it don't matter. I'm like Jesus say, everything out there is mine. So if God has it, it's mine. The Bible says it's all ours. We all share. You know, I'm not going to call the artist's name, but I remember it's this song they used to say, um, silver and gold. They didn't need silver and gold, right? You know, all they needed was Jesus. And I kept saying, well, then we ought to be able to use their music without having to pay royalties. But it's not like that. All right. Now, 
let's talk a little bit more about what Paul says. Paul says that everybody is seeking their own. Then in verse 22, he goes back to talk about Timothy. This is how I want to be. This is what I would love to have be, my, be the testimony of my life. He says this, but you know the proof of him, being Timothy, verse 22, that as a son with the father, he have served with me in the gospel. So Paul says that Timothy is so faithful that Timothy has followed me like a son. That what you would expect a son doing with his father. I, I remember seeing there's this man that I know. I think his uh, dad has passed now. I used to see them all the time in Home Depot. And they were uh, carpenters. And his son, from the time that boy was maybe knee-high to a duck, I would see him following his daddy around. And they would be dressed alike. And he, he would just be carrying tools for his dad and all that. And I watched over the years, they would go to that same Home Depot over here on the airline. And I would see him, and the boy just kept growing, growing, growing. The last time I saw him, his dad had passed, and he's a grown man in Home Depot, wearing clothes, looked just like his daddy, walking around. And I said, see, that, that's, that's what Paul's talking about with Timothy. He says that Timothy didn't forsake him. You know, in other words, he didn't just raise him up, and then Timothy went off, I'm grown now, let me go do my thing. Mm -mm. He stuck with his dad. He was like, look, he needs my help, and even though what, Paul was in uh, being charged as an insurrectionist, Timothy didn't run. This is why when you get into those books in Timothy, Paul says things like, I fought a good fight, I've kept the faith. Or he tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Hold up like a soldier. Well, instead of just saying it, let's go over there. This is one of the things that I'm going to go over here. This is in 2 Timothy. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy, let's look at chapter 2. Uh, verse 1 through 7. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. All right, let's go over there. This is what Paul says. Thou therefore, here it is again, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth, look at that again, entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who have chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for mastery, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. So Paul was speaking to Timothy in the letter and saying, Timothy, look, Jesus chose you, but you got to understand. You can't entangle yourself with the affairs of this life, because if you do, you're going to get bogged down. You're a soldier. And you have to see yourself as a soldier. You have enlisted in the army. It's like if people think about it now. When you go to the army, you don't get up and tell them people you got something to go do. I mean, the people, they get you up on day schedule. You go out and work out and do what they tell you to do. When they assign you a task, you go. And when the bottom line is, when the time comes, you go to war when they tell you to go. You know, you know, and this is why most people choose the reserve. You know, they want to be in the army, but they're really in the reserves. But even in the reserves, when they call you up, you got to go. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You could be in school. You could be anywhere. Where it wants to reserve call you, you got to go. But as an active duty soldier, you don't even get the chance to be talking about, I'm going to school, I'm doing this. No, no, no. The only school you're going to is army school. And whatever it is that you're in, whatever you're trained to do or whatever, that's the school you'll be doing. And then they're going to put you on the field doing your job. You may get to go home or leave for a minute, but then you got to go back into the field. 
You're an active duty soldier. You are en en enlisted. You've been chosen by this. So God is saying to Timothy, Paul, through Paul, you've been chosen. And if you've been chosen, you got to give up this other stuff, man. You got to, you got to, you can't entangle yourself no more with the affair. And that word entanglement means like a spider. And most people have had this happen at least once in their life. You done got caught up in a spider web. Either because you're trying to knock it down or whatever you're doing. And when you do that, you're doing this the whole time, trying to get it off of you. because Now you're entangled. That's what that means. Well, he says anybody who's been chosen does not get entangled with this life. You stay as far away from it. You do what you got to do. You know you got to make money. You know you got things you got to do. Pay your bills and move on, man. I ain't got time to get caught up in all that drama y'all got going on out there in the world. I ain't trying to be all that with y'all because I'm working on my rewards in heaven with Christ. I got a mission to do. The Holy Spirit is prompting me. I got to be listening to him and able to move. See, if he un 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 unravels me and untangles me, then I'm in a position like I was speaking to somebody today. And I told them, I said, you know, they, they know some people who have churches around, you know, different churches throughout the country. I said, let me tell you something. Uh, you give them this tape or give them a tape. I said, look, I'll come preach. They don't have to pay me to do nothing. I said, I'll come because I'm just trying to minister to God's people. I said, not only will I pay my own way. I said, Sister Lori like going on trips. So we'll go on trip wherever we go. I said, you know, we pay our own way. I, who knows? I might leave y'all an offering. Bottom line is, I don't need you to support me. No, I'm coming to give the people of God a word from God and to help them to grow. But if you can only do that if you're not entangled. Because once you get all entangled, the Holy Spirit can't just tell you go. Now you're stuck. But when you're enlisted in the army, them people got you sleeping in, the, in their barracks. They got you on their payroll. And when they say go, you get up and go. They deploy you where they want to when they're ready and you go. You might get that night to say goodbye, honey, but that's all. You're on the road, right? You're going. So this is what Paul is trying to get us to see about Timothy here. And, he, he, and, he, and, he's, and he's saying this so that we're clear. He says in verse 22, but, but ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently so soon as I shall see how it goes with me. So Paul says, I'm going to send him to y'all. I want to, but I, I need him here. He's helping me right now. Then he says this, but I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Now he shifts off of Timothy and goes to this fellow uh, uh, Epiphanes. Now Epiphanes is a member of the Church of Philippi. All right, he came from that church. They sent him to help Paul, and Epiphanes. Uh, is the next one that Paul begins to talk about. Now, remember what we're talking about again now. We're talking about the, pri the, the, the examples of good conduct, examples of good Christian ministry and ministers. Now, look at what happens. He said, yet I supposed it necessary to send to, send to you, Epiphanes, my brother, and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministereth to my wants. So in other words, he says, look, I feel it necessary. Epiphanes is here, but I feel it's necessary for me to send him back to you. But Paul, in sending him back, is trying to make it clear. He's not forsaking me. He's not leaving me. I'm sending him back to you because I think it's necessary that I do that. But I want you to understand, not only do I see him as a brother. You see, I use that word, my brother. Not only is this, do I see him as a brother. You know, you see, we throw those words around so loose. Hey, sister. Hey, brother. Like a brother. Paul says he's like my brother. 
He says he's real. He's a brother. He says, and he's a companion in my labor. He uses the words that are like very intimate. He's a companion. In other words, he's right there with Paul in the labor. He's suffering along with Paul with what's going on. He ain't just like in and out. I'm here, I'm there, in and in, I'm whatever. It's like when I tell people around here, you know, they're like, you ain't, you know, if you're here to help me, that's great. I appreciate it. You should really want to help Jesus. But it's great when you have people that move into stuff in a companion kind of role because you recognize that these people are taking, coming alongside, and they are what? Part of what's happening. They're in the labor with you, right? And so that's the idea he's saying. These, these people are not just in and out. These people are laboring with him. He says Epaphroditus is this person. Then he goes on and he calls him a fellow soldier. So he's trying to make it clear. Not only do I see him as a brother, a companion, but a soldier, fellow soldier. This man is a soldier. He, 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 gonna, he do it. He doing it, right? He's a soldier. I mean, you know, what, don't you want that kind of testimony? See, that's what I want in heaven. I want every day when I wake up for the devil to say, Ugh, he done got up again. You know, <laughs> that's, what I, I, that's what I hope he out there saying. And the Lord's like, you know, when I'm laying there in the bed, that's right, it's 4 o'clock. Let's get up, white. Let's do it. Let's get on the battlefield. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and the enemy's sitting there watching you the whole night. Is he still awake? Yeah, he breathing. Yeah, he should be, he don't want you to wake up. You know, there will come a day you won't, but that's all right. You want to get a full life, though, in. You want to make sure you didn't hit him in the head the whole time, right? So look at what he says. He says, but he's your messenger. In other words, they sent him to Paul. So Paul recognizes he's really their messenger, and, but he's ministering to him. He says he's been here. He's been, he's been doing this, man. He's been doing it. He said, as a matter of fact, verse 26, for he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because you had heard that he was sick. See, Epaphroditus had gotten sick, and the people back in Philippi had heard. Well, they were all concerned and upset and wondering about Ephroditus and heard he was sick really bad, and they were all concerned. So Paul was like, look, I, I'm, I feel necessary to send him back to you because he's concerned now even because he's longing after y'all because he wants y'all to know he's okay. He knows it's causing y'all a lot of grief and stuff like that, but he wants y'all. He says in verse 27, he goes on to tell them how sick he was. He says, for indeed he was sick almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So Paul says, look, now this is a verse, and I want to I tack this right here now because I think it's a good place to do it. This is a verse that people have used to, to say why healing is not a part of the atonement. I personally don't think it fits, and it doesn't make sense to me, but they say that when you see right here where it says God had mercy on him, that that says right there that, well, if healing was the children's bread now, why didn't Paul just pray for him and he get healed? Why is Paul saying God had mercy on him? See, for indeed he was sick. He almost died, but God had mercy on him. Well, why didn't Paul just pray for him and get him healed? Well, because Paul tells you why he got sick and why he almost died. Look at verse 30, and then we're going to go back up here. Verse 30. Because for the work of Christ, he was near unto death, not regarding his own life to supply your lack of service to me. The man, I'm going to work himself to death because the rest of the people in the church wasn't helping. Now, you got to understand something about healing. This is what, I, if I could tell anybody this and try to help you understand, I believe this is what the Holy Spirit has revealed to me. Divine health is what we need to be pursuing. 
Healing is fine, but divine health must be the first priority. You cannot work yourself to death and think that I'm just going to lay hands on you and you're just going to be well. That's not how it works. If God don't have mercy on you, you're going to die. If you work yourself and work yourself and work yourself, your human body will collapse of the work itself because you're not designed to work that way. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. God's spirit doesn't need sleep. Your body needs sleep. So if you keep going on and on and on, never sleep, eventually you're going to end up psychotic, even though you have what? The Holy Spirit, because your body needs sleep. Likewise, you cannot keep putting sugar, 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 sugar all your life and think you ain't never going to get diabetes. You can't then come in here and say, Pastor, pray for me, I got diabetes. I'm going to lay hands on you and all the sugar left. That's not going to happen. All I can do at that point is pray, God, please have mercy on this person and give them the ability and the power through your spirit to resist them sweets that they eat. To every time they see sugar, to throw it out the door. And to, <laughs> and to come up with the way, Lord God, to control that because otherwise your body is going to do what your body do. Now watch this. People don't seem to have a problem with this with inanimate stuff. But they seem to have a problem with it when it comes to the body. Now think about it. You have a truck or a car and you come to me and say, Pastor, my car has just got black smoke coming all out the back. And I say, well, let me ask you a question. When the last time you got your oil changed? Oil changed. I don't change my oil. Well, what do you do? Oh, I just pray the Lord and let my oil keep working. Oh. See, now right then we would all laugh and say, that's silly. Who does that? Right. But that's what we're doing with our bodies, though. We're just running, 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 running. We're putting stuff in our bodies that the scientists and the doctors tell you that stuff don't mix right and this ain't going to work right. But we keep doing it. And then when we get the results of it, we then say, Father, help us. Most of the things we are praying for, now listen to me, not everything, because there's some things that we don't know how it's happening. Some people get certain kind of cancers and other things are happening. Okay, fine. Well, let's reserve the power of God and healing for stuff that we don't know where it come from. We just going to believe God to get rid of it. But the stuff that we know what it leads up to this, we got to take authority over that, but we take authority over it by walking correctly. So Paul says, in verse 30, I'm telling y'all why this man almost died. Y'all over there crying, and oh, poor Epaphroditus, but ain't none of y'all come over here to help him. But Epaphroditus, because he's what? My brother, fellow soldier, my companion, fellow laborer. He worked himself to death. It's like, don't worry about it. I'm going to do it, Paul. I'll get it done. I'll get it done. I'll get it done. And he's doing everything, and then eventually... He almost collapses. He gets sick almost to the point of dying. And so we got to understand, this is more work than just the work of one person, two people, whatever. It's the body of Christ. And all the work needs to get done. And we can't have no Epaphroditus running around here getting sick because what? They done took on the whole load because nobody else will. And that's what some pastors need wisdom about. You know, it took me a while to get it, but at some point I learned how to make sure I, I can go. I've been able to go. I mean, you know, I got a reputation for you. are going to go with me, and you ain't going to eat if you come. You better come fed, okay? Because when we go to work, 
We work till we finish. Then you can eat all night if you want. But right now, we need to work. But I also know my limits, you know, and I know, okay, that's that, and I put it down. I, there, there came a point. I didn't, at one point, I wasn't like that. But you have to come to a place of understanding it because ultimately you'll wear your body out and you won't be able to continue to do the work that God's calling you to. So you got to understand it. So he, all, that's why I take back, let's go back to my original point. So when somebody come at you and say, well, I don't believe that God is healing, you can look at Ephroditus. Bam, stop. That does not say Ephroditus didn't go get all put on him. Ephroditus was sick because he overworked himself. And you cannot heal overwork with oil. You only heal overwork by laying in the bed and getting some sleep and resting yourself. That's why Jesus told his disciples, come apart for a while. Because they said people were going and coming that they didn't even have time to eat. And he says you need to come apart and rest, right? Okay, now let's go back up here. He says, for indeed he was sick near unto death, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but on me also, Paul says, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So Paul was like, man, this would really have messed my life up if this man would have died out here working like that, trying to help me uh, when you guys are not doing your part. In verse 28, he says, I sent him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again, you may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. Because Paul said right now, Paul was kind of striving with the fact that he knew these people were all concerned about Ephroditus. What was going on with him? He was sick. He might get put in jail with Paul. They got all these worries for him and everything, and they love him over there in the church. And the bottom line is that Paul's like, look, I'm sending him back. I don't want y'all to think he forsake me because Paul said this. Let me see if I can find it right quick. Let me see. Give me one second. I'm going to see if I can find this. I'm not sure if I can find this. Let me see something right quick. And if not, I'll just call it out. Maybe they can look it up for me. Um, but he says that every man forsook me at my first, um, his first hearing. He says, all men forsook me. If you can look that, y'all look that up. You'll be able to tell me what verse it is. Um, but but I, I, I just want to say that, and I'll keep going. Paul basically was trying to make it clear to them that Ephroditus was not amongst that group of people. In one place, he talked about a fellow named Demas. He says, Demas has forsaken me, loving this present world. In another place, he said, at my first uh, trial, basically, all men forsook me. You know, nobody stood with him. So he wanted them to understand. Ephroditus was not one of them. I'm sending him back to you. And I need you to understand that that's what's going on. It's not because he has left. So he says in verse 29, okay, here we go right there. Uh, that's in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 4.16. Thank you, sister. 2 Timothy 4.16. He says this, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Every time I read that, I pray God that it not be laid to their charge. That's just so depressing to me. I mean, here Paul is in jail, and now all the ministers, all the people, all the churches, everyone, Paul is standing there in front of Caesar, and everyone forsook him. But it's just like with Jesus. That's what happened, because when the heat get on, I mean, people really get up out the kitchen. If they ain't sold out, 
They're not jumping on no grenade with you. It's just not going to happen. And so ultimately, you know, Paul says, I pray it not be laid to their charge, but it will be. God is not, it's good Paul prayed that. You know, it's like when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He'll forgive them. But the point is, if they don't ask for forgiveness themselves, then God's going to hold that against them for the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, Paul then wanted them to understand Demas had done it. These people had done it. But this is not an Epiditis. This is the example of good conduct of the Christian, the good conduct. You stay in there. You fight the good fight. Even if Epiditis was willing to die, Think about it. He was willing to die to keep serving Paul. But God had mercy on him that he didn't die, and now he's able to go back in his testimony. Look what Paul says in verse 29. When receive him, therefore, in the Lord, we're looking at verse 29 there. He says, receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. So Paul said he got a rep, and y'all need to respect him. He says, because for the work of Christ, he was near to death. So you can't accuse him of being what? Oh, he got sick, he ain't got faith, he ain't this, he ain't that. Paul said, mm-mm, no, sir, my friend. He was almost dead because he overworked himself for Jesus. So y'all need to give him a reputation, hold him in reputation. He did not forsake me, he didn't leave me, I'm sending him back. He's a great minister, he's a great soldier, he's a great brother, he's a great companion. Take him back. I hope y'all happy because that makes me feel better because I don't want y'all out there grieving because if y'all grieving, I'm grieving. And so I just want y'all to know. But Paul said... Again, because of the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his own life. The man just didn't, didn't give any regard to his own life. Think about that compared to what we're talking about. That's why I'm just sorry. I get it, but, you know, we talk about prayer. You know, we're like, oh, you know, prayer is our most important service. You need to get out. You need to press out. And I'm like, come on, really? What are we talking about? I mean, come on now, really? This man almost died trying to serve Christ, and we came press out to prayer. I'm telling you, man, it's coming. I don't know when and I don't know how, but there's going to come a moment and all of a sudden we're going to be looking up and people are going to be looking for God. They're going to need him. They're going to need God. We're going to need God. And now is the time to seek him. Find the Lord while he may be found. Seek after him while he may be found. Don't be looking for him when it all busts loose because when that happens, I'm telling you, he already told you what he's going to do. He's going to be sitting up there laughing. And, that, and see, that, that is so, that's hard to even con conceive, that God could be laughing at you when you have trouble. Well, I didn't say that. See, see I heard somebody say the other day, and I'm going to close with this. We get ready to close. And I'm going to go back to this in the book of Proverbs. It's Proverbs chapter 1, and it's verse, um, verse 26 and 27. We're going to look at this again. 26 through 28, actually. I thought about this the other day, you know, somebody was talking and they were saying, um, well, you know, when you do things, you know, uh, and you sin against God, you know, you cut him to his heart and you hurt him uh, like you hurt your friends. And I said, OK, stop. You know, all of that sound good. I, I, please find me a verse that says when you sin, you, you sin, you cut God to his heart. And you just hurt him so when you do that. Okay, can you find me a verse for that? Because I started looking, and the closest I got was grieving the Holy Spirit, maybe. You know, you grieve the Holy Spirit, and the word grieve does mean pain. But it doesn't mean pain like, oh, I'm just so, I don't know what I'm going to do. The pain has more to do with the fact that you wounding yourself. This ain't got nothing to do with you done caused God this 
oh God, excruciating pain in some kind of way. He sold and died for you and that he just can't believe what you're doing. Oh my God, he all stressed out on the throne. That is not what's happening. Here on, in the Bible, so I'm, I got verse for what I'm saying. Okay, it's not like I'm saying to you, all right, y'all keep playing with God. Mm-hmm. Something gonna happen, you're gonna be laughing at you. I, I got verses. Okay, watch this. Look, let's read it again. Verse 27. When your, I will also laugh, beginning in verse 26, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear comes. When your fear comes as desolation and your destruction comes as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then shall you call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would none of my counsel, they despise all my reproof. So the bottom line is reproof is what you're getting right now. When you get from the pulpit, the Bible says that uh, love, rebuke, the love, rebuke and love is good versus secret, uh, 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 <laughs> I forgot this exact scripture, but rebuking someone openly is better than secret love. You know, so the bottom line is that love, you show them by telling them. The Bible says we have to rebuke and exhort with long, long suffering. See, hold on, hold on. All right, I'm sorry. I said I was going, I got another minute. Let me get to the right quick. That's why I love that quick verse. Um, where is it? I'm looking for rebuking the word of God, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. Let me see here. I thought that was in Timothy. Oh, boy. It says, because the time will come, they will not endure sound doctrine. Let's see. The word of God, we're going to use it. Thank you. 2 Timothy 4.2. Let's look at it. Here we go right here. Look what it says. Preach the word. Be instant. Now think about what Ezekiel said back there. Be instant. In season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. I mean, you know, fairy tales. You know, we got to understand, God is serious, man. This stuff is serious. And all I can do is keep saying to y'all, hang in there, believe God, keep praying, and get closer to the Holy Spirit. Because in these times that we're in right now, they're going to become more and more difficult, and a line is going to be drawn. And you don't want to be on that line side where God's going to be laughing when the calamity comes. So let's pray, and we're going to go ahead and close tonight.